All right. Um, I, I was a little um, distraught when he asked me to speak because I had no idea what I was going to talk about. But um, I was reading this book a couple months ago, and it's a book by Rob Bell. And if you've heard of Rob Bell, the guy is a genius, okay? He's like right up there with Albert Einstein when it comes to religion, but Albert Einstein had science. Rob Bell has religion, um, or at least I think. But he wrote this book called Velvet Elvis, and it blew my world, okay? Um, and he starts talking about different things and how rabbis would take their yoke, and their yoke was something very important to them. And to raise a disciple, they wanted to take this disciple and spread their yoke. Excuse me. Um, but he takes, um, he takes it to another level and describes what it's like to actually be a disciple. And so it, through this whole process, after I got done with the chapter, I was like, that is awesome. I'm going to read it again. So I read it like four or five times. And um, I've pretty much got it down pat since I've been studying. But I've got my notes in case I start chasing a rabbit, which I tend to do a lot. Um, so Moses goes to Pharaoh. I'm going to give you a brief synopsis of what I'm leading up to. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, homie, my people are slaves. This has got to stop. Pharaoh says, no. Moses throws staff on the ground, turns to snake. Um, other miraculous miracles happen, and Pharaoh says, okay, get out of my city. I don't care. Go, go just go. Um, they leave. Pharaoh chases them. Pharaoh's men die. Moses, this is the good part. Moses goes to a mountain called Mount Sinai, right? Did I pronounce that right? Okay. I was hoping I did because it would be really bad if I didn't. You know, I got the mic. Anybody can hear me. Um, so he goes to this mountain, and he's, on, he's up on top of this mountain, and God starts speaking to him. And he's saying, look, this is what I want my people to do. Okay? This is, um, it, it, he says, if and only if my people follow these sets of laws, will they be holy people and priests? And that's if and only if. There is no buts about it. If and only if. So he gives this, his whole PowerPoint presentation, basically, and says, write it all down. Take notes, because you're going back to your people, and this is what they're going to follow. So what, if you mess up on the notes, it's your fault. So he doesn't mess up. He's got spark notes or something. I don't know. But he, that's a terrible joke, I know. So he writes his, all this stuff down. He takes it back to the people. And... Takes it back to the people, and the Jewish culture starts taking all these things, and they start following it, and they and they're just absolutely adoring this whole sets of rules, and they begin to call it the Torah, which means instructions or teaching, or simply the way, and they, I mean, this Torah is everything to them, and it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's just five books in which they call the Torah. And they start, I mean, it means everything to them. It's their whole process of life, okay? And they surround everything in their entire culture around the Torah. Okay, so it's a big deal. Um, and, and so to get this and drilled into the people's heads, they think about their children. And they say, okay, if we're going to keep this culture on, we need to focus on the children and get them focused on the Torah. So at six years old, 
They start these kids out by learning the Torah. They take them to school to a, to a level of education called, I'm, I'm a little rusty on my Hebrew. So um, I think it's called Bet Sefer, S-E-F-E-R, but it, or House of the Book. And they take them through this whole process from age 6 to 10, and they teach them the Torah. It's crazy, I know. Genesis through Deuteronomy, five books, they memorize it. That is crazy, I know. It's ridiculous. I wouldn't do it. But from Genesis to Deuteronomy, they memorize the entire thing, period for period, comma for comma. They have it memorized. Wow. Notes. Um, But they have everything memorized, okay? I'm a little redundant. But, and another reason they have it memorized, because in most villages, the printing press hasn't been invented, okay? So, only one copy has been made for that village, most likely. And it's in, in the temple, and uh, they call it the Torah Ark. So, you really only got to see the Torah once a week when it was read publicly, right? And, and if you ever notice how Jesus... When he's speaking and he says a verse from the Hebrew Scripture, everybody there knows exactly what he's talking about because they went and read or memorized the entire Scripture. Um, and the process of this, when the reason that they did this was because they're setting them up for the ultimate job application to be a rabbi. Now, a rabbi was not just some regular op- op- occupation or some job status, you were the most respected guy there. Like, your rabbis were top-notch, almost had more authority than the kings. The kings would go to the rabbi and say, I don't know what to do. Give me a hint. And the rabbi would say, okay, let me pray about it. The rabbi had pool in the town. He had some money, spiritually, if you would. Um, But they would take him through this process to hopefully be a rabbi. And if you were the best of the best in the Bet Safar or the house of the book, you would go on to the next level. If you weren't about 10 years old, if you, if you excelled well in the process, you would go on to the next level. If you didn't, you would go back home and you would learn whatever your dad or your family did if you made wine or sandals or fishermen or whatever. The best of the best would go on to the next level called the Bet Talmud or the house of learning. And it, and it ranged from age 10 to 14. Right, And not only would you already have to know the Torah or the way, you would, they would then say, okay, now after you've got that, I want you to jump and go and memorize, take this and memorize all the way to Malachi. I would say, y'all have a good day. <laughs> and I would leave. I'm serious. I'd be a fisherman because that's a lot of stuff. But... From Genesis to Malachi, that's 39 books they would have to memorize. Word for word, period for period. That is crazy. And not only just memorize, but they would give them the, uh, they had this thing called the art of questions. And they would say, okay, here's your verse for the day. I want you, and I'm going to ask you a question about this verse. They would have to know what rabbi said, what about that verse, what sage said about whom about the verse, what prophet said about what that verse um, they had to know oral traditions, written traditions, oral and written laws. They, I mean, they had to know the entire New Testament. 
I mean, everything about it they had to know. And so the rabbis, they would, they would sit him down and they would say, okay, here's your verse, yada, yada, yada. And they would just, and it wasn't about who could just deliver information because that's how it is today. You know, what's E equals MC squared? Energy equals something, something. I don't know. I skipped that class. She went to that class. I didn't. Um, but um, so they would have to, it wasn't just about give, spitting back information. It was about who can take, what student can take this verse to the next step. So it was really the who can answer the question with a question, but still get the right answer, if you understand. It's confusing. Um, and it's, it's like a lot of times with Jesus, when the Pharisees or Sadducees would ask him a question, he would flip it right around and ask them a question to answer the question. You know? Or, or, or how about when... Um, when Mary and Joseph left and they were looking around and they couldn't find Jesus. And so they hauled tail back to Jerusalem and where do they find Jesus? He's in the temple sitting around rabbis and teachers and he's asking questions and listening. How old is he? Twelve. He's going through the house of learning, I think. But he's sitting around and they're all amazed by his questions and he's just sitting there listening. Um... And so the kids who excelled and were the best of the best of the best, sir, who were the best of uh, the second level of education would go on to the next level. And if you weren't, if you were just, just weren't that well in this, you would go and, you know, go to your, do your father's trade or whatever. But if you were the best of the best of the best, you would go on to the thing called, I want to look at my notes because I have this memorized, I've studied um, but it's called the House of Study, or the Bet Midrash. Yes, got it. So um, you would go to the, the Bet Midrash, or the House of Study. And this, this is my favorite part. They would go, the, the student, like say I'm a student, I would find out my best rabbi, the person, the rabbi that I just loved, that I agreed with his yoke, and I wanted to be just like him. I'd go up to him, and I'd say, Rabbi, can I follow you? Can I, can I just... Can I be your disciple? And this is the part where the rabbi has to question himself. He has to look inside himself and say, Can this kid be like me? Can he do what I do? Can he carry my yoke? Can he ultimately be me? That was, that's what he questioned himself. So then he would sit there for a second, and he questioned himself, and then he'd grill this kid. He would he'd drill him and grill him and fill him, he wouldn't fill him. Just kidding. I was doing Dr. Seuss there. But anyway, he would grill this kid with so many questions about the Torah and the New Testament to see if this kid had what it took to be his disciple. He would ask them about, I've got it written down. This is so much information he'd ask him. He'd ask him about the Torah, traditions, other rabbis, prophets, sages, oral law, interpretations, legislations, words, phrases, and passages. That is crazy what he would ask this kid who's standing in front of him saying, can I follow you? And he would drill this kid. I mean, he'd give him exam after exam just to see if this kid, because he didn't have time to, to teach and train this kid who ultimately wasn't going to be like him. He didn't have time for that. He was a rabbi, for goodness sake. Okay? 
So he would drill this kid to see if this kid actually had what it take. And this is my ifs. This is my ifs section. That's what I titled this. Because if you get a yes, then your world changes. If you get a no, your world changes. So I called this section the ifs. So he drills this kid, right? And the kid's standing there. And, and so all of a sudden they hear, survey says, um, yeah, that was a terrible joke again. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. Um, but terrible jokes just lose my train of thought. Okay, so the rabbi drills him, and then if he gets a no, and the rabbi really just honestly, truly doesn't think he can make it and be him or carry his yoke, he looks at the kid and says, look, I know, I know you probably love the Lord, and I know you know the Torah because you wouldn't be here if you did. But you can't ultimately be me. I'm sorry. Go home and learn from your father. Start a family and be happy. But you cannot be me. I'm sorry. That's just how it is. So the kid would go home and learn his father's trade. Um, but if he had a yes, and the rabbi really, truly thought that this guy, this kid, could be his pupil and be the one to carry on this rabbi's yoke, he would say, come, follow me. Okay? <clears throat> and there's this old saying that a sage, I was going to memorize his name, but those names are so hard to memorize. So, um, but he, he has this saying that's, and I think it's phenomenal. I'm probably going to use it for the rest of my life. But he would say, he would say, uh, cover yourself in the dust of the of your rabbi's feet, which means, apparent obviously they didn't have paved roads back in you know the first century or whenever that was, they didn't have paved roads and they had sandals and all this, so they would walk down the road and they would make so much dust, right? So you see a rabbi, okay, Come here, rabbi, you see a rabbi walking into town, right? And you turn. And if you look behind him, he's got a trail of dust. And once that dust starts to clear, you see all these disciples, whether it's 4, 5, 17, 12. You've got all these rab- or disciples following him, and I'm sure they're disgusting with dirt caked all over them. And as he's going to town, through the town doing you know, whatever it is that the rabbis do in town when they're not at the synagogue, if they're teaching or you know, do, what, whatever, You've got all these disciples who are doing their hardest to keep up with this rabbi because they want to be just like him, and they will follow him anywhere. I was reading, and one uh, disciple said, I I was in Jerusalem, and I saw a rabbi walk into the bathroom, okay? And uh, he had four or five disciples, and they ran into the bathroom with him because they didn't want to miss a thing that their rabbi did. Because if he went into the bathroom and something awesome happened, whatever that might be, in the bathroom, they didn't want to miss it. That's how crazy these disciples were about their rabbi. They'd follow him anywhere in the bathroom. Okay, So that's what he was saying, cover yourself in the dust of your rabbi's feet. Because by the end of the day, they were covered from head to toe in dust from following their rabbi so closely. Right? So... This is the part where I switch to Jesus, okay? So hold on. This is awesome. 
So, Jesus begins his ministry, right? He's about 30, right? And that's when a rabbi would normally start their, their public ministry. So, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. And he walks up on these two kids. And they're fishing. Peter and Andrew. They're fishing. Why are they fishing? That's what they did. Correct. You get a sticker. So they're fishing, which means they weren't the best of the best. They didn't make it through to be rabbis. So he walks up to them. He's strutting his stuff, you know. He walks up to them, and he says, hey, put down your nets. Follow me. So what are they? At once is what the scripture says. At once they drop their nets. Why? Because he's a rabbi. Holy cow. If a rabbi walked up to you and said, hey, come follow me, of course you would drop your nets. I would, especially if it was Jesus. Because ultimately what he's saying is, because if you remember, the students went to the rabbi and said, hey, can I follow you? This rabbi goes to the students and says, hey, you can be like me. You can do what I do. That is awesome. Huh. So he doesn't stop there. He goes on to the other people. He goes on to James and John. And who are they with? Their dad. Why? Because they're not the best of the best. They're fishermen with their dad, trying to learn their father's trade, to do what they do, you know? And, and Jesus walks up to them, a rabbi, says, hey, drop your nets, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. What do they do? Scripture says, immediately, they drop their nets. See, Pa, I'm going. And they leave. It's crazy. Jesus says, hey, I want you to be me. Take my yoke. I don't care. I don't care if you're not the best of the best. I don't care if you're not good enoughs. I'm the son of God. I don't need that garbage. How old are they? What, 15, 16? They're not the best of the best. 20 at the most, I believe. So Jesus is walking with his disciples down his ministry, right? And... The, and if I was a disciple, you've got to be thinking, this man has lost his mind. After all we've been taught with the Torah and everything, this man's crazy. And you've got to think, and like the disciples, how many times did Jesus get so frustrated with them? You, 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 still, don't, you still don't understand who I am and what I've, what I've come here to do? He gets so frustrated. He walks, he goes to this place, and correct me if I'm wrong, he goes to this mountain. It's in Matthew 16. Caesar Philippi, I think. Is that right? Caesarea. You know what? You are awesome. I've been for weeks trying to figure out what, how to say that. Hmm? Hmm. That would be awesome. Man, Danny Mountain Dew. Okay. So... I'm having so much fun up here. I just want y'all to know. So he takes them to, what's the, how do you pronounce it again? Caesarea. Caesarea Philippi. That's awesome. So he takes them to this mountain. And let me give you a little debrief, okay, of Caesarea. 
Philippi, what it meant, what that was essentially. It was a worship spot, basically, for pan worshipers. Pan was a half goat, half man god. I don't know how that works. <laughs> but he was a pan worship. I mean, that, that was a spot for pan worshipers, okay? And there was a giant crack in the hill or wall or floor, but they called that the gates of hell. And they believed that is where demons and devils would transfer from hell to earth. They called it the gates of hell, right? It gets better. Hold on. So what they did was they built this huge worship center and courtyard, and they put it right there on that spot. And then they would have... They would have worship for Pan, and they would take goats and, excuse me, Mountain Dew. Um, they would have worship center, basically, for, for the Pan God, and they would take goats and have sexual acts with the goat as a form of worship, right? So Jesus takes them to this spot, and as a disciple, you've got to be thinking, what is he doing taking us here? Our parents are going to kill us when they find out what we're doing. We're so busted, you know? So he takes them to this spot, and they sit down. And he, he, of course, asks Peter, who do you say I am? But he says, on this rock, I will build. Essentially, this is what he's saying. On this rock, I will build a new witnessing ministry. And not even the gates of hell can stop them. When they join force, whoa. When they join forces with me, it's going to be a force so unstoppable that the gates of hell won't be able to stop them. I believe that he's going to take people like the pan worshipers and say, those people are not good enough for the world, but they're good enough for me. And I'm going to take them, and they're going to be such a force that the gates of hell, hell won't be able to stop them. That blew my mind when I found that out. Like, I, I'm, seriously, it was phenomenal. So it leads me on. So I went fast forward. Now I'm kind of rewinding. This is before the Caesarea Philippi. So the disciples are on a boat. Okay, this is my boat. They're on a boat and they're chilling. Jesus had told them to take off and that he was going to dismiss the crowd. So they're in this boat, chilling. Probably like this. Okay, and all of a sudden they look across the water and they, hey, is that Jesus? Jesus! Hey! And Jesus says, hey, don't be afraid. And, and then they're like, well, maybe it's a ghost. Maybe it's a ghost. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. It is me. It is I. And Peter, Peter, I love Peter. He's so awesome. Peter's sitting there and he goes, well, Jesus, if that's you, let me come on the water. Tell me to come. Why? Discipleship. He's his rabbi. It's whatever his rabbi's doing, he wants to do it so bad. He wants to carry on the yoke. He sees his his rabbi out on the water and says, that is awesome. I want to do that. I want to walk on water. So he says, hey, rabbi, call me. I want to come. So Jesus says, come. So what does Peter do? Right over the boat. Starts walking on water. Okay, this isn't on CNN, guys. This, This doesn't happen every day. Two men are out on the ocean walking on water. Why? Because the rabbi stepped out and the disciple wanted so badly to be like his rabbi. So he steps out on water. This is the good part. 
He steps out on the water, and, and the wind starts to scare him, and he starts sinking, right? I know I'm not looking like I'm sinking, but he starts sinking, and he calls out, Jesus, save me, save me. And Jesus says, you have little faith, why do you doubt? But he doesn't say, why do you doubt me? Why do you doubt? Who does Peter doubt? Not Jesus. Jesus is doing fine. He doubts himself. He doubts himself. I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm on water. I'm walking on water like my rabbi. He doubts himself. He starts sinking. I can't walk on water like my rabbi. And, and Jesus says, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt yourself? Jesus, nine times out of ten, when he got frustrated with his disciples, it was because Jesus saw so much potential in them that they didn't see in themselves. And he got so frustrated with them. Look it up. He gets so frustrated because you have little faith. Why are you doubting the fact that you can walk on water? I chose you, remember? That's scriptural. You didn't choose me. You were fishing. I came to you. Why are you doubting? Let's, this is the part where I use my Bible. Matthew 9. I know this story. This is one of my all-time favorite stories. I wrote a, a rant on it and put it on Facebook a while back. This is my Bible. Many like it. Okay. So, Matthew 9, verse 9. Everybody ready? This is what they did in Sunday school. Tell me when you're ready. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man, Matthew, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me. Follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. Okay, let's stop right there. No, let's keep going. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this is. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay. So Jesus is walking in this town. And he walks up to this guy, Matthew, or what Mark and Luke call him, Levi. And says, hey, I'm going to eat dinner with you. Grab your homies. We're going to your house. Okay. Essentially, that's what he says. That's in the Hunter version. Look it up. Okay. So while Jesus is having dinner with him, you can see... And dinner in the Jewish culture is one of the ultimate friendship things. It's like, I'm taking my food, and I'm putting it in your belly. We're homies. You know, we're, we're right here, okay? So Jesus is sitting there with all these people, and the scripture says, many tax collectors and sinners that they quote, okay? Let me tell you what a tax collector was. A tax collector was the worst of the worst of the worst, like, everybody wants their kid to be a rabbi. But nobody wants their kid to be a tax collector. I mean, you, you are shunned. You can't, 
You can't join any kind of voting. Um, you couldn't be a witness in the courts. If you're, if say, let's say my brother was a tax collector, people would shun me because of my brother. I mean, it's, it's, that's, that's what it meant. You were the low of the low. You were the dirt that they walked on on their bare feet. I mean, you were low. Okay? Y'all got my point? So Jesus is sitting there with tax collectors and sinners. Now, I have a study Bible, and I'm in love with it because I have a lot of questions, and the study Bible answers those questions a lot of the times. And if they don't have an answer, I get frustrated. But... Uh, I should have looked this up. Anyway, I know it. what it means. Sinners. They have it quoted because that's what everybody called them were sinners. And they were notorious evil people, whether they were murderous, whether they were adulterers, whether they were uh, those who practiced in homosexuality, um, whether they were uh, cheating on their taxes or whatever. I don't know why they would be eating with tax collectors, but... They were the low of the low. And here Jesus is eating with them. A rabbi who's the best of the best of the best of the best, sir. Okay? Eating with them. Showing great friendship. And who does he tick off? The Pharisees. And ten out of ten times when Jesus makes the Pharisees and Sadducees mad, he is doing something awesome. Okay? So he's eating with them. Pharisees go, what is this rabbi? What is your rabbi? Hey. Peter, come here. What is your rabbi doing eating with these people? We don't, we don't care for. We don't like. They're not good enough. Is, is he crazy? And Jesus hears him, or might, it might have been prophetically. I don't know. But he hears him, and he looks at him, and he says, uh, do the healthy go? Do the, are they the ones that need a doctor? Are, are the ones that are sick, they're the ones that go to the doctor, Right? That's what the doctor's here for, for the sick people, not the healthy ones. Go and learn what this means. And this is another thing. He's quoting scripture back to them. Part of the New Testament, or the Old Testament, that they, of course, already know. So he already says it to them. Right? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy. Whatever they've done, whether they're tax collectors or murderers, I desire, their, I desire mercy. They're okay. They're friends. I love them. I'm eating with them. I guess my message is this. And the Lord has really changed my heart. And the person, I, that the earthly person, I believe, that has really just shown this light to me, the most was my brother. He had this little sticker. It said, Love wins. And when I saw it, first thing I thought, I was like, Dude, people probably think you're gay. <laughs> like, I seriously thought that. And then one day, he comes to me and says, Hunter, I'm going overseas to join the Peace Corps. I want you to have my car. And I was like, Right on. So do I. <laughs> so he gives me the keys. And he's got, a, he's got one sticker in his glove compartment, but one sticker on his bumper. And as I'm driving through town, I, I, the whole time I'm thinking, people are looking at my sticker. <laughs> okay? It crushes a man's pride when you don't believe in love. Okay? 
especially if you're riding around with one of your buddies. It kills you. So for like two weeks, I felt this big and felt like every time I drove through town, somebody was watching me going, there goes Hunter again. You know? And I always ask Thomas, Thomas, why do you have that sticker, man? Why do you have it? Everybody, yeah, love wins. Woo! That's why you're in the Peace Corps, okay? And he's like, and he would always say, Hunter, you'll understand one day, man. You'll understand. And I understand. It's so cool. So one day I was in my, my room. And I was just, I was, I'm telling you, I was so mad at this sticker. I went outside and I just <laughs> snatched it off. And the only thing that ripped off was the winds. So he said, just love. And I'm telling you, I was so stinking mad. Like, if it wasn't a car that I wanted, I would probably would have punched it. I was so mad at that sticker. So I finished peeling it off. And I was so happy. I felt like I won. I was like, yeah, love. You can't take me. So, but, was, but what is even more cool is he had a second sticker in his glove, com- like, right there. And I saw it every day. And it never, like, it never clicked. Hunter, you're going to lose this battle with love. And you're going to put that sticker back on that car. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I lost. I've got, that, I've got two stickers on there that say love. Right. I've even, I've even ordered them to hand out. Stupid sticker. I, I've, I've, I've just got such a, such a burden that, that Jesus, that has, he's just laid on my heart. Even, even when Jesus was on the cross, he, he's quoting scripture back to the guys. And they know it. Like it, do, it, it doesn't really click when Jesus quotes back the scripture and he's going, hey, wake up. I'm the guy who the prophets all talked about. I'm here on the cross. When he talks about uh, why, why have you forsaken me, that's in Isaiah, I think. Psalms 22, maybe that's it. You probably know better than I do because I should have looked it up before I started quoting this. But he's on the cross, and if you look on that, I think this is the one. I read it in green. Like, What's the guy's name? Well, who was the guy that I just read that I loved? He's the amazing artist, died in a plane crash. Keith Green. Keith Green. Golly, I don't know why I didn't say his name. The guy was awesome. I loved him. I, his, his yoke is awesome. Opens up his house for anyone and everyone with his family and kids there. Talk about faith. Trust. Lord, I trust you that you're not going to bring some psycho axe murderer in my house. Bring people that I can lead to you. It's awesome. So, anyway, so Jesus is on the cross, and he, he's manipulated, not manipulated, mutilated, beyond appearance of a man, naked, on this cross, quoting Scripture back to guys who know exactly where he's pointing to in the Scripture. Talking about, you've divided my garments and casting lots against them. Is that the right? Is that the right scripture? 
And, and Jesus says, why, why have you forsaken me? And everybody there, when he says that, goes, what are we doing here? We're casting his garments out and making bets to see who can get his clothes. And this is the guy that they're talking about in the book, in the Torah, in, in the whole Hebrew scripture. This is the guy when we got him on the cross. I think that some of them go, duh, should have listened. What I'm saying is this. I think it's time when we lay down the pitchforks, we lay down the the spiritual whatever, our guns, and pointing the fingers and saying, leave your garbage at the door of the church. Come on in. That's what I'm saying. Come on in. Let let the prostitutes come on in. Let them in. Let, Let guys with AIDS... That guy who was here and got healed, awesome. That is so cool. It, it just blows my mind. Now, if we just extend a little bit of love, maybe maybe they're in homosexuality because the first Christian that met with them didn't love them enough. Maybe that's why they're there. Because the ambassadors of Christ aren't reaching out and saying, hey, God loves you right where you are. He loves you so much that if you're, that if you're an alcoholic, He loves you so much where you are, but He loves you too much to keep you there. Maybe if we just extend a little bit more love to these guys, to, to each other, that we're not going to be so distraught and to the point where, where America is in a war whether you agree with it or not. This isn't politics. This is about a king who loves us so much and says his greatest commandment was love God and love people. And if you love people, who are you loving? God. I think my rant's done. I've cried, so that's it. Thank you.